Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. Today I'm taking us back to the 1800s so I apologise in advance because I know I've not done it for a while and this is the story of Dr Thomas Neil Cream. Dr. Thomas Cream was born in Glasgow on the 27th no, of May. No, I haven't heard of this case. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for asking. I'm so sorry. I am not with it today. Clearly, I'm <laughs> sitting waiting for my cue. <laughs> oh, get a great Samantha. <laughs> Do you want to start that again? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Caitlin, have you heard of this case? Thank you for asking. I haven't, of course I haven't. <laughs> Please, take it away. Thank you. Dr Thomas Cream was born in Glasgow on the 27th of May, 1850. He was raised in Quebec, Canada, after his family moved there in 1854. He attended an academy before becoming a student at, I think it's Mac- Gill University in Montreal and he graduated with an MDCM degree in 1876 and also I'm just going to say that for his degree his thesis topic was on chloroform so just keep that in your head yeah now that doesn't obviously that doesn't make you a murderer it doesn't make you ready for a podcast but you know he knows a lot about chloroform now, yeah, it's just an interesting thing to like study if we're then going to find out he's a bit of a bad guy. Yeah, exactly. So this topic really helped him in life, I'm guessing. Now, his postgraduate training was at St Thomas's Hospital Medical School in London. And in 1878, he obtained additional qualifications as a physician and surgeon in Edinburgh. And as we know, Edinburgh is pretty renowned, especially back in those days for you know surgical and medical degrees yeah yeah not to you know blow our own trumpets he then returned though to north america and he was seeking to practice in a community in need of physicians so after a brief experience it says in des moines iowa he then relocated to london in ontario so this is in canada london not england Right, I was going to say, I was like, London is definitely not in Canada, you've got that really wrong. (laughs) Yeah, no, after, you'll see, there's another street name as well that we think, and I'm like, I'm guessing the whole of the UK went over to, like, Canada and created it, because we took took our names with us, let's just say. In 1876, while living in Waterloo, Quebec, Thomas met Flora Brooks. And they began courting, so they were dating and everything like that. Now, Flora, though, she became pregnant a few months later after Thomas had promised to marry her. He hadn't married her yet, but she had became pregnant. He attempted to perform an abortion, but he failed because uh, what on earth was he thinking? Like, oh, yeah, I'll just do that for you. I'm a doctor. But he left her severely ill. But like any fiance would do he did not stand by her he tried to escape to montreal but he was caught by flora's father and flora's father forced him 
to return and to marry her. And it also said where I read, I think he forced her, he forced him to the church at gunpoint. <laughs> it's like, you will marry my daughter. No, no. We're exactly. Someone for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the day after the wedding, he left, and he went to England to continue his medical education. I am shocked. <laughs> Who saw that coming? But Flora's family never saw or heard from him again, ever. And Flora Brooks, she almost fully recovered from you know the botched abortion that he did. But she sadly died of consumption in 1877, so just a year after. And that was a pretty common thing to die of back then, and I believe it's a type of tuberculosis. Now, Thomas is now back in London, in Ontario, London, not London, England, because he returned back to North America in 1878, and he established a medical practice in London. He was charged, though, under Ontario's Medical Act with practising without a licence. And he did plead guilty to that. However, this did not deter mm-hmm. patients from his office. <laughs> People were like, oh, it's all right, Let's still go to him. <laughs> oh, I'm like, what? Now, in 1879, Catherine Hutchison Gardner was found dead in a privy behind Thomas's office at 204 Dundas Street. Remember, we're still in Canada here, but we have one of these. Now, she was pregnant and she had been murdered with her handkerchief soaked in chloroform. Thomas had refused to help her with an abortion. Instead, he urged her to accuse a local businessman of being the father, as you would do. Now, he claimed she had threatened to poison herself when he had not agreed to perform the abortion and that she had written him a letter in which she mentioned the businessman as being the father. However, Catherine's family and roommate denied that she had written this letter as the signature and handwriting on the letter did not match her own and it was dismissed as forgery. Now, if you're going to write a letter in someone else's, you know, words and handwriting, at least get it down to a T especially back in those days, because there's tons of proof of people writing because they didn't have anything else. Now, despite rumours and overwhelming evidence against Dr. Cream, authorities took no further action and the case was never solved. Now, things aren't working great for a No, sorry, ever. Was it just like, oh, done? Yeah, done and dusted. Like, oh, oh she died. Okay. It wasn't Thomas. Okay. Now, things aren't working out great for Dr. Cream, and so he has now moved to the windy city of Chicago. Now, he established a medical practice not far from the red light district in Chicago, and he was offering illegal abortions to prostitutes. Now, he was investigated in August 1880 after the death of Mary Ann Faulkner, and that was a woman whom he had allegedly operated on to do an abortion but he escaped prosecution due to lack of evidence in December but like has he not learned that he can't do them like did he not learn the last time when he like messed it up that he's like maybe not the best at these you'd think especially after the first one and that your wife died you'd be like maybe I should choose a different I need to do a bit more training in this 
Yeah, maybe just read a book doing... on it. Aye. But, you know, practice makes perfect, apparently, but just not for him. Um, in December 1880, another patient, so he's still not learned, Miss Stack died after treatment by Thomas. And he subsequently attempted to blackmail the pharmacist who had filed the actual prescription for whatever it was that Thomas had given her. Now, in April 1881, a woman named Alice Montgomery died of strychnine poisoning following an abortion in a rooming house barely a block from Thomas's office. The case was ruled a murder, but never solved. The location, time period and the method of her death makes Thomas such a likely suspect. But again, he was not prosecuted. And did he learn his lesson? Stay tuned, because on the 14th of July, 1881, Daniel Stott, so this is now a man, a male, Daniel died of strychnine poisoning at his home in Boone County, Illinois, after Dr. Cream supplied him with an alleged remedy for epilepsy. Now, the death was attributed... Exactly. Now, this is a change. This is a change in tone for Thomas. The death was attributed to natural causes, but Dr. Cream wrote to the coroner blaming the pharmacist for the death after he again attempted blackmail. This time, though, Thomas was arrested along with Daniel's wife, Mrs. Julia Stott, who had allegedly become Thomas's mistress and procured poison from him to <gasps> do away with her husband. Mm-hmm. <gasps> now, she turned state's evidence to avoid jail, laying the ba- blame completely on Thomas, which left him, obviously, to face a murder conviction on his own. Thomas was sentenced to life imprisonment in Jolie Prison, which is in Illinois. I apologise if I pronounced it too French or whatever, but that's how it sounds. Now, Daniel Stott's friends erected a tombstone at his grave, which reads, Daniel Stott died June 12, 1881, aged 61 years old, poisoned by his wife and Dr. Cream. Like, I don't know if I'd appreciate that on a tombstone, how you died and things. Aye, going like, can we just confirm that now? If someone murders one of us, we don't put murdered by this person on my tombstone. Like, that is mental. I've never heard that before, ever. Mm-hmm. Just be like, she was such a great person. <laughs> you know, something nice. Anyway, Dr. Cream, though, so this is life imprisonment, right, back in 1881. He was released in July 1891. So he only served 10 years of this life sentence. Governor Joseph Pfeiffer had commuted his sentence after Dr. Cream's brother pleaded for leniency. And it's also alleged that he kind of bribed the authorities. So this guy's got money. He is out. Now, following on from this, Dr. Cream used money he inherited from his late father, who had died in 1887, whilst Thomas was in prison. He sailed and went to England, here in the UK. He arrived in Liverpool on the 1st of October, 1891, 
three years after the Jack the Ripper killings had been committed, okay? Now just keep that in mind for a second. Because he then went to London and took lodgings at 103 Lambeth Palace Road. At the time, Lambeth was riddled with poverty, petty crime and prostitution. Now I say that Thomas arrived three years after the Jack the Ripper killings because later on, before um, Thomas's death and things, you'll go like when he, if he ever got convicted of crimes, etc. You'll see there's speak that Thomas was saying he was Jack the Ripper. He was going about being like, "I am Jack," etc., etc. Yeah, like, hold on, hold on. I, yeah, I thought I misheard you there. He said he was Jack the Ripper. He did. But people weren't going. You're Jack the Ripper, and he was like, "No, no, no." He was actually saying, "It's me." Yeah, he was I'm... saying it's him. But what? It wasn't him because he was in jail in Illinois. So, like, gonna? Why are you talking rubbish? We've spoke about this before. Do you remember we've had cases before when people have said they did like a murder, and then it's came out they didn't, and it's like they just want the fame of it. Yeah, but why think... would you want to be Jack the Ripper? Like... I think that's why he does all these like botched abortions and stuff, though. Like, I think he actually wants to be someone that's like very clever and very whatever but he he, he isn't yeah like I think you know by the sounds of it he keeps doing these things to be like oh I've done x y and z but he's actually not great at it no he's got multiple degrees but yet he's still a killer and he's loving it because he's getting away with it now so he's in London in England and on 13th of October 1891 Ellen Donworth known as Nellie was a 19-year-old prostitute. She received two letters from Thomas and agreed to meet him. He offered her a drink from a bottle and then she she became severely ill that night and died from what was later found to be strychnine poisoning. During her inquest, Thomas wrote to the coroner offering to name the murderer in return for a £300,000 reward under the pseudonym a O'Brien detective. Like that's so nasty. It's yeah, a lot like, of money I back know then this, as well. This girl's been killed and I know who did it. I'm not gonna tell you unless you pay me. Like obviously he's talking rubbish, but even if he wasn't, that's really not nice. No, not at all. And so he also wrote as well to WFD Smith, which is the owner of WH Smith bookstalls back in the eighteen hundreds, accusing What? Yeah, accusing W. H. Smith. Uh huh. Of the murder and <gasps> demanding money for his silence. Like, I mean, with the cost of W. H. Smith now, fair. Yeah, <laughs> I totally get it. But no. Now, on the twentieth of October, Thomas met with a twenty-seven-year-old prostitute named Matilda Clover, and offered her pills, instructing her to take four before bed. She began experiencing violent, painful spasms later that night and died two hours later. Her death was assumed to be heart failure due to alcohol withdrawal. Now, Thomas, under the name of M. Malone, wrote a letter to the prominent physician, Dr. William Broadbent, claiming to have evidence of his involvement in Clover's death and demanding £25,000 for his silence. So he lowered his, you know bribe he's like oh 300 is not bad if i'm not getting that i'll take 25 uh, but, if i'm not getting that but can i also ask did that person pay out see earlier we spoke about when he went to wh smith well he didn't go to wh smith but when he went to <laughs> when he went to the, the shops when he went to the shops it did 
W. Smith pay out? No, I don't believe so. Because I think that's the thing. See, if there was even talks of him being involved in the crime, then yeah, you've probably got him at a weak point that he is going to give you money. But like, if I got a letter through the door, or even, yeah, saying like, hey, I've got evidence that you did this, give me money. But if I was like, I literally have nothing to do with it, you're not going to give them money, are you? No, no. And he, and he didn't. He got no money. And I don't believe anything came of that um, at the time. It was just because he's really not thinking about this wisely to be like i'm just going to see these random people with loads of money are involved in these crimes because it like yeah obviously we just do crime podcasts so i've got more things but i'd be like okay show me the evidence <laughs> you have against me and then i will give you money so i'm just like really intrigued at where he thought that was going to go just being yeah. like i've got evidence of you doing this and then them being like oh right okay even though there's not any of them. Yeah, there is nothing. Like, you know I mean, they're not going to be like, oh my God, like I've been, I'd be like, hi, what, what are you talking about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, that's just my point. <laughs> and um, so this is when he was, he blackmailed the physician. But Dr. Broadbent contacted Scotland Yard. So they set a trap for the, the blackmailer because they didn't know it was Thomas when he would come to collect the money. So, like you said, this guy was like, why would, I never did this, so why, right? However, no one was caught. Nobody collected that money. Now, on the 2nd of April, 1892, after a wee holiday in Canada, so he took a break, Dr. Cream returned to London, in England, where he met Louise Harvey, a prostitute. He offered her two pills, insisting she swallowed them right away. Louise, though, being a bit suspicious of him, you know, rightly so, pretended to swallow the pills he had given her. But she secretly disposed of them by throwing them out over the bridge into the Thames. And thankfully, she did not die. So there's a survivor in this. Now, on the 11th of April, clearly because he was like, well, that didn't work. I need someone else. He met two prostitutes, Alice, Mar Alice Marsh, who was 21, and Emma Shrivel, who was 18. And she, he spent the night with them in their flat when he offered them three pills each and a can of tinned salmon, as you would do. Now, Thomas left soon after that, and both of the women died later that night from strychnine poisoning. So... One was saved because she didn't swallow the pills, so he went after two. Now, here we go. Through his blackmailing letters, though, as you've, you know, nothing's come of it as yet, but through these letters, Thomas succeeded in drawing close attention to himself. Not only did the police quickly determine the innocence of those accused, because, like you said, Caitlin, there was literally no evidence whatsoever that these people did kill those women thank goodness that they noticed something telling of the accusations made by the anonymous letter writer he had referred to the murder of matilda clover so clover's death hadn't been registered under natural causes related to her drinking so this wasn't you know public knowledge nobody would have got that so the police quickly realized that the false accuser who had written the letters was the serial killer now referred to in the newspapers as the Lambeth Poisoner. So people are on to him and he's loving it. He's now got a name. You know they all like names. We've all seen those. 
Yeah, Thanks. no, definitely. He'll be really like appreciating this attention. <laughs> now, not long after, Dr. Cream met a policeman from New York who was visiting London. The policeman had heard of the Lambeth Poisoner and Thomas gave him a brief tour of where the various victims had lived. The American happened to mention it to a British policeman who found Dr. Cream's detailed knowledge of the case very suspicious because... No wonder. Why would you know that? Oh, oh yes, yeah, so-and-so lived there and then she died. Like, you say that if you know you're in the public, if you're in the community and you know that about someone, but you don't take someone on a tour. Now, the police at Scotland Yard put Dr. Cream under surveillance, rightly so, and they soon discovered his habit of visiting prostitutes. They also conducted an investigation in the United States and Canada to learn about their suspect's history, including the conviction for a murder by poisoning in 1881. At the inquest held by Braxton Hicks in July 1892, he read out a letter signed by Jack the Ripper declaring Dr Neil Innocent, which like obviously everybody was laughing at him because like why would Jack the Ripper, who no one actually really knows, say, oh, Dr. Cream's innocent, but I'm going to call him Dr. Neil. Now, the jury returned the verdict that Matilda Clover died from strychnine poisoning and administered it by Thomas Neil. So at this inquest, Matilda Clover no longer had died from alcohol withdrawals. They were finally saying that it was strychnine poisoning after all these years. Now, on the 3rd of June, 1892, Dr. Cream was arrested for the murder of Matilda Clover. And on the 13th of July, he was formally charged with the murders of all of those women. So we've got Matilda Clover, Mrs. Domworth, Miss Marsh and Miss Shrivel. Yeah, the there's loads of them by this point, isn't there? Mm-hmm. What a shame. The attempted murder of Louise Harvey, because she's popped up and survived, and obviously extortion, getting all this money from people and or blackmailing and trying to get money from people. Now, from the start, he insisted he was only Dr. Thomas Neal, not Dr. Neal Cream. And I don't know why, because then he got the newspapers to refer him as Dr. Neil in the coverage and also in all of the proceedings. And I don't know why he did that. Like, I don't know if he was wanting to change his name or if he thought, oh, I don't want to be known as Dr. Cream. Like, he just insisted that that was his name. So I don't get that point. There was nothing really else on it. Obviously, it was back in the 1800s, so there's not tons to be like, oh. Why are you going as this name? Now, his trial, though, lasted from the 17th to the 21st of October, 1892. And deliberation lasted only 12 minutes. The jury found Dr. Thomas Neal Cream guilty on all counts. And Justice Henry Hawkins sentenced him to death. Less than a month after his conviction, on the 15th of November... Dr. Thomas Cream was hanged at Newgate Prison by James Billington. So it was customary as well back all back then when anyone got ex- executed as criminals, your body was buried the exact same day beneath the flagstones of the prison, along with everyone else that was executed. So kind of like a big 
mass grave and you were just marked by one initial and then in 1902 I think his body was dug back up and it was moved to London Cemetery and he's now buried in an unmarked grave somewhere in London so that is the story of Dr Cream the serial killer yes I've never heard of him obviously Mm -hmm. at all um but yes that was really interesting he seemed to get all over the place yeah and especially back then it's not like planes and things were like about as much really he was getting boats back and forth from america canada the uk like take a break man mm-hmm. before we go um would you like some updates on some of our past podcasts you know I would. So I have two updates. Well, one update, one is just like a bit of news and I thought there'd be two quite good discussion points. Um, um, one of them was sent to me by one of our listeners. Thank you very much. And the other one, I just like, have been keeping an update on this case. So anyway, I'll get to it. The first one, which is like the update, which I think is the most important one, is Sheku Bio. So obviously that was episode... Two, two or three yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's quite a lot because obviously if you don't know what I'm talking about pause now go listen to the episode come back but we've spoke about this quite a lot because obviously the case is ongoing now and basically the crown have rejected police evidence assurances so I don't know if you know what that means but basically the police had asked like for like their evidence not to be used and they wanted immunity and like their statements and like all their stuff to not be used in the court and this has been declined which is huge yeah like I was really not getting that so basically last month like obviously all the officers involved they all have their kind of own separate lawyers I think through the federation but they basically asked for a guarantee that their evidence to the public inquiry would not be used in any future prosecution or misconduct proceedings and they basically said like with yeah yeah yeah, no you go Sorry, I was just saying, if that doesn't make you sound so guilty, then I don't know what does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also said that some of these officers said without that assurance, they would exercise their legal right not to answer questions where they might incriminate themselves. Oh. Now, I'm glad that's been declined because police are great at what they do and they're very good at protecting people. However, if they've done something that needs them to go to court, they should be telling the truth. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter your job. It doesn't matter if you're police. You should be as made to tell the truth as anybody is. So that was only two or three days from but by the time this podcast goes out, sorry, it'll be about five days ago in the news. But yeah, it's came out this week, basically, that's been declined, which is obviously really, really good. Um, the Crown also said that current or former officers could still face prosecution if new information emerges. And they basically said that prosecutors must consider all cases on individual facts and circumstances and act in the public interest. So it doesn't matter. And he said he wasn't satisfied that it's the public's interest to grant these undertakings, which I think is fantastic. Um, I also read a bit more into it. And basically the inquiry is due to begin on the 10th of May. So that is next month that's going to be starting so I was thinking depending how much kind of happens we could maybe do like every second week like a little update like podcasts will go out one week we can put one out the other week just if you're people like me that sometimes struggle to read the news I'd rather listen to it but it basically said they are going to examine 
the immediate circumstances leading to his death, how the police dealt with the aftermath, the subsequent investigation, and whether race was a factor. And I think I mentioned this in the last update, but it's Lord Brackadale that's doing it, which, Santa, I think you're a big fan of theirs, because I think they've presided over a couple of cases we've done, and Samantha always gets very passionate when she finds out his name. Um, well, I just like his name. I'm like, yeah, know. okay. Um, but also, they have 12 police officers being looked into, and he's going to seek statements from each individual officer and basically find out how much information they're willing to give. And then he's going to see the best way to like proceed, really. Um, so like if that means they need to look at more evidence, etc. So I think that's it's not a positive thing, obviously, but that's quite a positive direction. I'm quite because I was quite worried that the police were going to kind of wriggle their way out of this almost. And as I said, no hate to the police, but if you have absolutely nothing to hide, let them see your statements and stuff. Do you know? Like that's the way I look at it. Like as I'd say, like kind of looking at the case you've just done, if someone put a letter through my door and said, I've caught you doing this, if I knew I was innocent, I'd be like, well, cool. You can look through absolutely everything I've done if you've said you've done everything right. And like, again, the police are human. Like we've looked at that as well. Look at our last case that we did last week. Um, There was a couple of mistakes made in the trial and like that is fine, but your mistakes can't result in a life being lost. No. Like if I made a mistake at my job that made someone life we lost I would lose my job too mm-hmm. I think most people would so yeah but that is all on Sheffield Bio let me know if you would like me to do kind of little updates but yeah would. Go, that'd go be great and, thanks yeah, yeah, not just you but yeah go back <laughs> and listen to that one it's episode two so it's quite a while back but yeah I think that'd be quite interesting to see where that goes the second update is on Chris Donald. Do you remember Chris Donald's fan? Yeah, that was a wild one. Yeah, so Chris Donald, again, I cannot remember what episode he was, but he was back at the start again. I maybe want to say like episode nine or something. That is a total guess. But he was basically a 15-year-old boy who was abducted and tortured by like a race hate gang. Again, I'm not going to say anymore if you've not listened to it. I don't know why you listen to these ones first. You have to listen to the rubbish ones first, sorry. But go back and listen to it. But basically, it was the anniversary of his death. It was the 18th anniversary, which is mental. And that was um, kind of the middle of March, kind of towards the end of March. So I don't think we've done a podcast since, which is why I mention it now. But basically, Patriotic Alternative Scotland, I don't know if you know who they are, but that's PAS. And they are basically like, victims of anti-white violence and they used the anniversary of his death to fly a banner with his face over the m8 for like no way yeah for this horrendous thing they wanted to name a bridge um in the motorway like over the motorway for him and he said no um and basically there's a man from the charity hope not hate that said this group basically harbor extremists and it's basically a bunch of opportunists opportunistic face my lord sorry opportunistic (laughs) fascist what you know the word fascism yeah with the racism at the very heart of its politics so they are basically using and exploiting the murder and i completely understand that his murderers were not the same color or ethnicity as him but you cannot use him as like a basically a white racism group who are like anti 
white violence like are all for that which i understand i don't think it should be violence on any race but they basically ruined like his memorial day by using that as like the front and they've used it quite a few times i think as like this cover so i just thought that was really interesting as well because yes his case shouldn't be remembered but it's a shame that it's been twisted in this way and i think if you remember the episode i before i was going to do this i kind of looked back at my notes and i remember a lot of it was gang culture so that's the bigger issue here is the gang culture not just straight up racism it's the gang culture that needs to be looked into so i just thought that was a really big shame and i hadn't seen that one that was actually sent to me by one of my listeners thank you very much um who had let me know about it because i actually missed that but yeah if you actually google it you can see the pictures and there's like tons of them standing over like the motorway and it says like anti-white hatred kills and then they've got like a huge post, like photo of him on this banner over the M8 which yeah. is a, which is one of the main motorways connecting like Edinburgh and Glasgow in Scotland um so yeah I just I didn't really hear about that so I just thought that's a big shame but also I hadn't really heard much before I think we mentioned the charity briefly but it also reminded me of the charity Hope Not Hate so definitely check them out as well because you actually it was quite a good website they've got but yeah that I just thought that was so interesting how people can spin like these murders and stuff into like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, thanks just... very much for those updates. No, you're okay. I think it's nice to like go over when there is updates. Like I know there's obviously ones all the time about like, you know, a lot of these cases don't just disappear. Um and they do come back up. And it's like I think it's good to like update when it's important information not when it's just like um oh i've got another one sorry oh my goodness i actually have another one that i completely forgot i've just seen it in my notes sorry sorry i said only had two updates treats i've got three so (laughs) this goes back to alistair nairn do you remember that oh yes i should have not alistair Alistair wilson who was killed in nairn yes Yes. oh Uh my goodness sorry so alistair wilson was killed in nairn another one if you've not listened to it go back and listen to it but he was basically i'll give you time to stop listening thank you um it is basically he was shot on his doorstep blah blah but they have updated the description of the gunman because obviously this was about 17 years ago so yeah they were obviously looking for a gunman between the ages of like do you know, so it said that in 2004, they have updated the 2004 description of the gunman to change the age range from between, so they've changed the age range, sorry, between 30 and 40, because it was obviously 20 and 40. But obviously, right, this person has got older because obviously yes. it's been like 17 years old. The gunman was described as about five foot seven, wearing a baseball cap and jacket. So they've now said that the killer would be anything from, sorry, so I'm totally wording this all wrong. So he would have been anything between 20 to 40 back when he'd done it, but they're now saying he would be in his late 30s to 60s. Um, right. And I also read a thing as well, which as I kind of just spoke about, it's good to look at these ones. The police have said, like, so I don't know if any of our listeners are up there, they have any information, but the police have said, do not assume the police already know the information you have. So if you have, like, do you know when, like, my like we've always got that like my granddad babysat Dennis Nielsen so like we always talk about that in the family so if you know something about that like the case being like oh I actually knew someone that like knew him just let the police know if you think it's important um because this is very much still an open case of a man that literally got shot his doorstep I don't know if he was in the bad business I don't think I'm 100% sure but all I know is like he should have been shot dead in front of like his wife and children in his house 
Um, so yeah, if you think you know anything, even if it's rubbish, don't tell me. Oh, yeah, tell me if you want. I'd like to know. But yeah, tell, tell us. But tell tell us and we'll tell you if we think it's worth going to the police. <laughs> um, no, no, no. So you're like, let us know the chat. Um, but yeah, that's another one. Sorry. I can, oh my goodness. We're both having to say mind blanks this week. We were better next week. Um, but yeah, so that's three updates. And I think it's, if people enjoy the updates, let me know. If you don't, I can stop them. But I think it's good no, in some of these te- cases. No, I love it. Tell me. Keep, yeah, because like some cases, as I said before I remembered, I forgot about Alistair Wilson, um, that some of the updates are like, oh, it's the anniversary, blah, blah. And I, I totally get that that's a day we should think about them. But I don't need to remind you, so you'll know when they are. But if there is updates, I think it is important, especially for the cold cases, to keep remembering them. So, yeah, any updates you know and they're not worthwhile to the police, let us know, because I'd be happy to... Let Samantha know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> there you go. 